I do want to welcome you to week four of our series, looking at some of the high points uh, found in 1 Peter. We've called our series Exiles because Peter tells us over and over and over again that we're foreigners, that we're sojourners, or another translation says we're exiles if we're Jesus followers. And so as Jesus followers, he tells us that we're called to be different, that we're called to be, uh, some translations, some versions, some verses in First Peter says we're called to be holy, to be set apart, to be pure, to be different. And what I want to do today is I want to share a message with you that is possibly the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. The most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. And I'll fill you in as we continue on. Jesus promised us uh, many things. But let me tell you what he didn't promise us. Jesus never promised you and I that we would be happy. Jesus never promised us that we would be comfortable. Jesus never promised us that our hearts wouldn't be broken by somebody we know we're dating. Jesus never promised us that we would have a job or that we would have health care. Jesus never promised us that the vacation we go on will work out as planned. And the Delphs family vacation was a testimony to vacation fiascos, which I'll share with you a little bit later in the message. But what did Jesus promise us? If you're a faithful follower of Jesus, if you live differently, Jesus promised us that the world, are you ready for this? The world would hate you. The world would persecute you. Again, the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. He said in verse 18, he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. So today, we're talking about as exiles who are different, we're talking about being different, living differently in persecutions or in trials or in difficulties. And in case you weren't here in the previous weeks, let me just give you a quick reminder that Peter wrote in the first century to a bunch of Christians who lived during a time of extreme persecution, much of which was generated by the, by the Roman emperor Nero, who absolutely hated Christians. He turned other people against the Christians, and so they experienced uh, you know, just extreme persecution. And then it got worse because Nero, who loved to build things, uh, decided, hey, I'm going to burn down my city so that I can rebuild it. He does that. He blames the Christians. Everybody joins, jumps on board with that false, you know, that lie. And so then they experienced even worse persecution under his evil rule. I want to fast forward to today. The data tells us that the persecution of Christians today, as bad as it was back then, the persecution of Christians today is the worst it has ever been in history. You may not realize that. You may not even be aware of that because of where we live and the life and the freedoms we have in our country. But followers of Jesus all over the world are targeted for their faith. They risk sexual violence and torture and arrest and so much more. In fact, in just the last year alone, let me give you some stats. In just the last year alone, over 245 million Christians live or are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution. Certainly not in the United States. We don't fit in that category of high level of persecution. In the last year alone, 4,000, 
305 of our brothers and sisters in Christ were killed, executed, because of their faith in Jesus. Isn't that amazing to think about? 4,305 saints killed for one reason, because Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Also, 1,847 churches and other church buildings have been attacked or destroyed just in the last year alone. And in an average 30-day period of time, there are upwards of 800 followers of Jesus every 30 days that are beaten, tortured, raped, or imprisoned for one reason, their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you and I don't experience anything like that type of persecution here in America. Because of our faith, we may get, you know, passed up for a promotion. Because of our faith, we may not be invited to, you know, a social gathering. We might be ridiculed. We might be mocked. Regardless of which type of persecution it is, it's all persecution. And Jesus said, if you follow me, the world will hate you. And you will be persecuted. Peter had a lot to say about what Jesus was talking about. And my hope and my prayer this morning is that God's word through Peter will speak to you, that that you would hear what God has to say to you today, and that it would actually inspire your faith and encourage you and I to live more boldly for the one who gave his life for us. So let's dive in together, look at a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. And Peter says this to, to these persecuted Christians. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. See, he's telling these, these, these persecuted Christians, these Christians who are hurting, he said, hey, don't be surprised if you're living a godly life, if you're living differently. Don't be surprised then that you're going to face opposition. If you're living holy, set apart, and pure, it shouldn't surprise you that people would criticize you or that they would ridicule you or that you're going to face some type of spiritual opposition. I imagine there might be some of us, maybe a lot of us, who would sit here this morning and say, you know, I can't really think of a time when I've, or at least recently, where I've actually faced persecution because of my faith. So let's take a moment and try to understand, if that's us or you, why that might be. For example, let's let's imagine, I'll I'll illustrate it this way, imagine um, a, a child playing sports. Okay, many of you have sons, daughters, grandchildren, nieces, nephews who play sports. Let's pick soccer, for example. Imagine there's this kid on the soccer team, and, and he's on the team, has the jersey on, sitting on the bench. But that's all the person's doing is sitting on the bench. And in fact, they're not even paying attention to the game. In fact, they are, uh, when the coach isn't looking, they're trying to reach in their bag and grab their phone out and, and play on the phone. And, 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 and they don't get called upon to go into the game. And, and they're just sitting on the bench. If you are the opponent on the opposing team, are you concerned about that goofy kid sitting on the bench not paying attention? And what's the answer? No, of course not. He has no impact on the game. If, on the other hand, my son Cameron is in the game. Now, if some of you don't know, uh, um, my uh, my kids play sports, and I have no problem saying when my kid stinks at something. 
And uh, Kobe, you know, he really struggled with certain parts of sports and Cali and all that. But Cameron, I have no problem being honest about that. I'm not one of those, hey, you're, my kid's the greatest on planet Earth. But I can tell you this, when it came to soccer, those of you who ever watched him, Cameron was a prolific in soccer, an amazing soccer player, a prolific passer, scores goals like you wouldn't believe. And in fact, recently, he was playing against uh, uh, some people here at church. He was playing against Pastor Derek in, in, in a soccer league. Okay, playing against Garrett Sparks and Jacob Wheeland, and it was Cameron's team, it was really Cameron, against those three guys. <laughs> and he would juke Derek and, and all them. Derek walked in the next morning, you know, with hamstrings pulled, falling on his head. I mean, they got worked over by Cameron scoring, I don't know, four, five, six, however many goals. There was a ton of goals against them. If you are an opponent on the other team, if your pastor, Derek, when he walked into that game and he knew Cameron was on the other team, are you worried about him? And what's the answer? Absolutely. Now, Derek will pretend like he wasn't. He will try to tell his version of this truth. <laughs> Cameron impacted the game. Now, the same is true when it comes to spiritual things. Because for them, they had to watch out, they had to pay attention to him. Why? Because he was making an impact on the game. And when it comes to spiritual things, you and I are on the Jesus team. Which means, you know, we believe in Jesus. We have the jersey on. But if you're on the bench, if you're not in the game, if you show up but you're not engaged... Meaning, you're not praying for miracles. You're not asking the power of God to move in people's lives. You're not interceding on behalf of others, believing that God can heal uh, wounds and that God can meet people in their not time of need. Meaning that maybe you have gifts or talents, but you're not using them to further the kingdom. You can make a difference, but you let somebody else play in the game as you sit on the bench. Or you're not maybe, you know, giving generously. Sure, you may tip a little here or there, but you're not strategically, prayerfully, sacrificially asking God how you can use your time, your talent, and your resources to be an influence on others as you give generously to make a difference in the world. Or you believe in Jesus, but you're not representing him boldly. You're not inviting people to church. You're not sharing your faith or your testimony of what God has done in your life. You've got the jersey on, but you're not in the game. And the same is true in this example, which means is the opponent, is the enemy, in that case, taking any notice of you? And what's the answer? No. Why? Because you're no threat. You're no threat. But... The moment you engage in your faith, the moment you say, I'm an exile, and as an exile, this world is not my home, I come from a heavenly kingdom, and as moment you say, I'm going to engage, I'm going to live differently, that opponent, our spiritual enemy, will take notice, and when that happens, you will face opposition. Again, the most encouraging message you don't want to hear. And because the followers of Jesus in the first century because they were in the game, because they were in the battle, 
They experienced opposition, and so that's why Peter said to them in verse 12, don't be surprised at these fiery trials you're going through. Now, that's interesting. The word fiery trials was, was very literal for them. Nero, Caesar Nero, was so sick in the mind that he would dip Christians in hot oil or hot wax. He'd hang them on a tree or a pole in his courtyard to light them on fire. He literally used them as human candles to light up his evening parties. That's who Peter was talking about when he said, don't be surprised when you're facing these literal fiery trials. Now, if Peter were writing today to you and I, he might say something to a Christian in the Middle East or India or Nigeria or North Korea. He might say to them, don't be surprised if you lose a loved one because of your faith in Christ. Don't be surprised if you if a family member turns on you. Don't be surprised if you face extraordinary danger because of your faith. Don't be surprised if someone you know is tortured, raped, or beheaded. If he were talking to a, to a young college-age girl here in the United States, he might be, say, don't be surprised if you don't get a second date because you've taken a stance on sexual purity. Don't be surprised if someone mocks you or avoids you or doesn't give you the deal. Don't be surprised if your country labels you as intolerant, hateful, or bigoted. Don't be surprised if your religious freedoms that you've experienced this, in this country begin to be taken away more and more and more. Don't be surprised, Peter said at this trial you're going through. Because you know what it means? It means you're in the game. You're participating. It means you're making a difference. And it means that you are out there and you are rattling the gates of hell. And you're going to experience opposition. Don't be surprised. And then he says this. Again, the most encouraging message you don't want to hear. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13 don't be surprised at it. Instead, and I want to say this word together, instead be very what? Instead be very glad. Another translation says rejoice. Instead be glad for these trials. They make you partners with Christ in his suffering. Talk about different, right? I mean, that's different. Be glad, be, be rejoice, be thankful when you're persecuted. Not for being persecuted for any old reason, but be thankful when you suffer for being a Christ follower and living different and living the life that God has called you to. For when you suffer for your faith, he says you'll be a partner with Christ so that you will have this wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. And I ask the question, why is it that here in America, maybe even for some of us here today, why would we say, you know, those type of trials, that type of persecution, I don't really experience that. Why is that? I'll suggest to you one possible reason, something you can discuss in small groups or with other uh, brothers and sisters in Christ this week. Why do we maybe not, some of us, experience that? Well, it's likely that we've been convinced that the most important thing for us is to pursue comfort and ease. To pursue comfort and ease. 
And that's the reason that we don't find ourselves standing more boldly and being more courageous in a way that perhaps God desires. I mean, let's be real about it for a second. Wouldn't you and I, wouldn't we rather have a comfortable conversation than one that's full of confrontation? Wouldn't you rather? I mean, I know I would. Wouldn't you rather have a, you know, a nice, easy, chill day rather than one that's full of pain and possible, you know, beheadings or something, right? Of course. In our faith, we, we want comfort. We pray, God, bless me, keep me safe. Don't let anything happen to me. God, protect me. You see, we've programmed ourselves to avoid, to dodge, and to run from opposition or conflict at all cost. In other words, we are making decisions constantly that try to take the path of least resistance. So how does it play out for you and I? Well, maybe it's we don't correct somebody when they say a racist or sexist joke. You know it's wrong you don't want it to get uncomfortable. So you don't say anything, you just go along. Maybe someone will ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? And you'll say yes. But you think back and go, you know, I don't offer that up to people. In this environment, in my work environment, in this place, and I, I, I don't put that out there because I know as soon as I do, it's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to be more challenging. Here's a big one for today. People will ask us, hey, what's your, you're a Christian. What's your stance on? Fill in the blank, whatever the hot topic or topics are in our modern culture. And you know, you're like, oh man. And you figure out a way to not really share how you really feel. You try to soft pedal it a little bit. You kind of try to ease into it. It's not that you're trying to deny your faith. It's just that we pursue the path that's most comfortable, the path of least resistance, least resistance. In fact, I want to show you the danger of this and where this heads. The path, this path is not a good path for us. And I want to show you and I want you to think about this. We're going to look at this kind of this cycle that we can get ourselves into. And I want you to ask, we're going to look at two different cycles. And I want to see you to ask, which one's more true of me? Which one's more true of me? What more represents my life this week, this month, this year? And the first is this, is that, you know, we pursue comfort and ease. You know, maybe at all costs, that our goal is just to be comfortable. Above all else, we're pursuing comfort. We want to be happy, and so we press into that. We pursue that, and when that's kind of just the underlying, we may not ever say it out loud, but it's just kind of how we live our life. When we pursue comfort and ease it's how we end up avoiding confrontation and so we avoid confrontation you know i don't want to upset anybody i don't want to make anybody be mad i just want to have a good day i want everything to be calm and peaceful i mean jesus said you know be a person of peace i don't want to rock the boat but here's the problem when this is the direction we go we're pursuing comfort and ease and we're doing everything we can to avoid opposition Ultimately, what happens is our faith actually weakens. Our faith actually weakens. Our spiritual muscles begin to atrophy. And we're not out there, and we're not in the game. We're not standing for anything. We're not passionate about Jesus. We're not passionate about the church. We're not passionate about the things of God. And here's the problem with this. 
we will find ourselves then not feeling very close to Christ. And in that moment, we'll wake up one day, whatever the case may be, and we'll realize, man, I feel kind of empty. I'm not close to Jesus. I'm empty. There's got to be something more, so what do I do? I start the cycle all over again. I'm going to pursue comfort. Maybe I need this thing, or I need to go to this place, or, or i got to do this to get this many likes, or I need a new relationship. Whatever it is, I pursue so that I can feel, fill the void, and I pursue comfort, and I avoid anything that's difficult. I avoid opposition, and then I wonder, why do I not feel close to Christ as my faith is weakening? And I find myself, without realizing what happened, I find myself empty inside and it just repeats over and over and over and it's an awful place to be as a jesus follower because there's another way but it does require you and i to live differently and this other way the only way is that we live differently we recognize that hey like peter said i'm a foreigner i'm a sojourner i'm an exile i'm just passing through because i have a heavenly kingdom this world is not my own I serve a king who is not from this world. His standards are different from the standards of the world. So instead of pursuing first and foremost comfort and ease, first and foremost, I actually say I'm going to live boldly for Jesus. That that's what's going to guide me, that I'm going to stand up for my faith, that I'm going to share Jesus with others, and I'm going to express his love, demonstrating like we've talked about, extravagant acts of kindness. I'm going to live boldly for Jesus When you live boldly for Jesus, guess what happens? Peter said, Jesus said, you will face opposition. You face opposition, why? Because you're in the game. You're making a difference. But here's the strange thing. When you live boldly for Jesus and your faith seeing opposition, your faith actually tends to strengthen at that point. Rather than weaken, it strengthens because there's something about living by faith. There's something about when you and I live on the edge, when you're comfortably uncomfortable, meaning that you're living by faith and not by sight. One day you wake up and you go, oh my goodness, I'm closer to Christ than I've ever been before. His word is alive in me. My prayer life is exciting. He's guiding me daily. And so that repeats. And suddenly find yourself living even more boldly than ever before. And you know you're facing opposition, but it doesn't bother you in the same way as it used to because your faith is just being strengthened more than ever before. And through it all, you're like, man, I'm closer and closer to Christ than ever before. And that cycle just continues and continues. So let me ask you, which of these two cycles more represents your life this week, this month, this year? Are you comfortable avoiding the trouble, not being really close to Jesus, feeling empty inside? Or are you living boldly? Yeah, you go through some opposition, but man, your faith is strong and you're close to Christ. Which more represents your life? Peter said, when you live different, they're not always going to like you. In fact, sometimes they'll hate you. You're going to suffer at times. You're going to have trials and persecution. But he said, verse 13, just be glad about it because it means you're a partner with Christ. And then he says what I think is incredible. Here's what he says. 1 Peter 4, verse 19, he says this. He says, so 
if you're, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is, let's say the word together, keep on doing what is right. Let me say it again. He says, if you suffer in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Keep on doing what's right and trust your lives to God who created you because he will never, ever, ever fail you. And yes, that may mean we suffer and we're persecuted, but we keep doing what's right. So here's the principle for this verse. In every area of our life, with our family, with our finances, in our relationships, in our workplace, Wherever you're facing any type of pressure to compromise your faith, to not live differently, to not be pure, to not be holy, in any area of your life, here's the principle. Do what's right and trust God with the results. Do what's right and just trust God with the results. In other words, how do you live differently as exiles, as Jesus followers, we do what's right and we trust God with the results. We do what's right in our relationships and then we trust God with the results. Which means if you have to have a hard conversation and you know it's the right thing to do, have the hard conversation. And then you'll have to trust God with where it goes. A lot of times we avoid those conversations, right? Because we don't know what the result will be and we can't control it, and if we put it out there, and there's a sense of confrontation, boy, this is, we don't want that. But we say, you know what, I'm going to do what's right, and I'm going to have the difficult conversation. If we have to confess something, we say, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to go in, and I'm going to let someone know, hey, and you confess what you need to confess. If you have to stand up, if I have to stand up and say, I'm sorry, as a Jesus follower, I can't do that. Then we stand up and say, I can't do that. We do what's right, and we just trust God with the results. It may not go the way we want, but we trust God. We do what's right in our work life, in our business life. We trust God. We don't compromise our values. We don't shy away from what's right. We don't cut corners or, 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 or pursue shortcuts at the expense of our integrity with our family, with our friends, with our buddies, with our work, with our kids' sports teams and activities, with our local, regional, and national policies, rules, and laws. As Jesus followers, we're different. We do what's right. We trust God with the results. Now, I know it's actually kind of amazing. I was kind of hoping you would forget that whole story of mine that I shared about my vacation. Um, and I've had about a dozen people come up today going, are we going to share today? Are you going to share? I said, well, I kind of have it in there, but it doesn't really fit. And, and I'm still kind of just going through a lot. And they're like, yeah, but you're a preacher. You can make anything fit, <laughs> you know. And so I'm like, yeah, it's kind of true, but kind of not. But I have been wrestling with, and I'll just kind of tell you the story. Again, it kind of fits, kind of not. But what I've, what I've wrestled with is, and you can pray for me in the situation if you want, I'm wrestling with trying to do what's right and trust God with the results. I'm trying to do what's right 
and trust God. Let me tell you a story. If you weren't here, I'll give you a quick recap. Went on a vacation um, um, to, to Monterey area, to actually Pacific Grove. And we used VRBO, uh, vacation rental by owner, and uh, Verbo. And so we had our place. And the way it works is, you, you know, you go online, you search. There's a drop pin of the location. You then book it. And then after that, they send to the app, they send you the address of the home. So I got that. I knew it was right where we wanted to be at Pacific Grove, right in the location, about, about a two-minute walk to the beach right there. Super excited about it. Have the address. I go onto Google Maps. I see the greenhouse because there's pictures of the greenhouse, you know, the bat outside and stuff. So I see the greenhouse. I'm like, okay, sweet. This is it's a little farther than the drop pin, but it's all good. I'll, you know, this is still perfect. Um, get all that ready to go. The 30 days pass where you don't get refunds. We now get, because we booked it in April, we now get to the morning of the trip. The morning of the trip, that address that we had for the last 60 days, the house that I looked up, everything, Pacific Grove, instead we get a brand new address to a new house in a, in a different city, in Monterey rather than Pacific Grove. Yeah, oh. I had stronger words, but... And after repenting, <laughs> that's good, Don. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? New address, new city. Look, look it up. Go on Google Maps. See all that before we leave. Oh, interesting. In a neighborhood, two-minute walk to the beach, over in Monterey, on the main drag. Second story. First story is a nail salon. Right next to it is a bar. On the other side is a tattoo parlor. Next to that is an adult novelty store. True story. Trifecta. Trifecta. The, whole, the holy trinity, right? Of, of, of the world. Like, you got to be kidding me. So we make a decision. We're calling, heading out, calling VRBO, saying this is ridiculous. This is fraud. I booked for this. You're giving me a whole new place. I, have, I am not, I booked for this. I want my money back. Sorry, it's, you know, past 30 days, can't get a refund, blah, blah, blah. We'll try to reach the owner, blah, go through the whole thing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I make the decision. Okay, I got to do what's right here. I can't try to stay there and then, you know, then say I want my money back. So I'm not going to go into the house. We're not going to stay there because I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to have a better case to say, I booked this. This is fraud. I'm not taking this. I'm going to do what's right. So we decide not to stay there. We tell them we're not staying here. This is not what I booked for. This is not what I paid for. Right? Making sense? So I do that. Go through the whole process, try to get our money back. The owner says, no way, you book, blah, 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 it's, you know, and I'm like, this is wrong, going through the whole, I'm being polite in all my communication with the person. VRBO doesn't come to the rescue, they don't help out, they're a pass-through group, going through that, I'm still working with them, I'm now working with my credit card company, by the way, uh, they had told me that I can post my review to help other people, because I'm like, I gotta do what's right, people need to know, this is not good. And so then I just found out, I think about a week ago, um, your, your post has been rejected, reason you did not stay in the home. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've tried to do the right thing, and I couldn't stay in the home. I didn't stay in the home, and because I didn't stay in a home, I don't really exist. Tell that to my money. 
And so now I can't post the review to help other people of, of what's going on here. And so now I'm calling, I'm trying to connect with them, and I'm going through all this, and it's not working. It's going nowhere. The last, I'm finally in the resolution department. I'm trying to help people to get it changed. I'm like, this individual knows what they're doing because the street runs from Monterey all the way through Pacific Grove. They looked up a house that's green in, Mon in Pacific in, in Pacific Grove, so they could get the drop pin because it's a better location, because it's a better, everything's better about it, knowing it was a different location. So I, I tell the people, and I'm just begging them, and here's what I said. I'm talking to this person, have you ever heard of VRBO? And I'm actually amazed at how many people didn't know what it was. I'm like, do you know what this is? And, and finally got a person who, who understood what it was. I said, do you not see what's going on here? This is a perfect plan, what they're doing. I said, please, I beg of you, help. Do what's right. If you do that, you and I could be on 60 minutes. <laughs> or at the very least, we can be on call Curtis. You know, so come on, let's do this because this is a loophole and the person's used the loophole and I'm being silenced and no one knows I exist and nobody knows what's going on and I'm out my money and now I'm trying to work with my, my credit card company and it may or may not work and I'm sitting here going, oh, there's a lot of things I want to do. And I've had a lot of bad thoughts. I really have. And I'm still praying about doing what's right. Because as of the moment, my vacation has cost me double because we didn't stay there. Literally double. And it's been hard. It's been difficult. Now, again, that's where this story doesn't fully relate because I'm not being persecuted because I'm a Christian. But I'm constantly asking the question through this journey, do what's right. Now, I know a bunch of you are going to come up after and give me, you know, what you think's right. No problem. I mean, the call, Curtis, the, you know, the police. I, I get it all. No problem. I'm working on through all that. I'm seeing a counselor right now, doing everything I can. <laughs> but I do know this. If you're going to be different than the world, you're constantly going to ask the question, am I doing what's right? And when you choose to do what's right, there will be times you will be persecuted as a Jesus follower. That will happen. And when that time comes or when those moments come, you trust God with the results. Knowing you've participated in the sufferings of Jesus because of your faith. And here's the deal. When you do that, when you live boldly, when you live courageously and you face that opposition, you will be closer to Christ, and your faith will be strengthened. So God's word for you today, will you do what's right and trust God with the results, regardless of the opposition that comes your way?